Support the Amigos podcast and keep the Amiga goodness flowing for just a dollar a month. Visit our page at patreon.com slash Amigos podcast. Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Amigos, the podcast about everything Amiga. Amigos is a proud member of the Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dowdy and John Bodovkar Schaller. All right, hi everybody, welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today we are going to talk about James Pond 2. Uh, but before we do, um, we are going to uh, we ha- it's a it's a very special episode. Uh, I'm just going to tease this before we uh, we start our episode proper. Uh, stay tuned to the end of the episode. We have uh, quite a few Amiga Christmas memories that our listeners have sent in to us, and uh, I'm really looking forward to listening to those. And uh, I actually haven't listened. I'm saving them for the podcast. Uh, oh, beauty. I haven't heard them yet, but I know that uh, they're going to be great. Uh, I also have something uh, a little special for Aaron because it's Christmas. Got him a little Christmas gift. No, boat. Good Lord. Every time with this stuff. <laughs> so uh, he's going to open it live on air. You don't have to Actually, I've, I brought something for you, but it's not wrapped. So I'll swap <laughs> it over, too, because I can't wrap this well. But thank you, whatever this is. Boat's a generous giving fellow, folks. What in the hell is this? It's a framed picture of... So that is a uh, signed All right, I see alternate that. history of Qbert. That was signed by what's his name, Jeff Dyer, Jeff Lee, Jeff Lee. That's right. Uh, and uh, that is the designer of Qbert. Uh, I picked that up in my travels, um, and uh, it's Wait, part of a series. And you I picked this up in your travels to what, to where? Well, Oz? <laughs> I went to Chicago last week, oh, and yes. I stopped by the Galloping Ghost Arcade. And uh, they had those for sale, and I thought, boy, giving your near insatiable appetite for twenties era drugs, uh, no kidding, imbibing some absinthe. That's uh, <laughs> so that explains that makes it, <laughs> folks. If you can see this, Cubert is he looks very depressed, <laughs> and he's he's got his nose resting on what appears to be a bar, and there's a drink beside him, and a weird looking spoon and some sugar cubes, and there's a green fairy coming out of the glass. So the. I'm glad you explained this to me because I was like, I was wondering what the hell this was. Well, thank you, Boat. Well, right, here, hold on a second. I'm going to grab yours real quick. You entertain the truth. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit about my trip to the Galloping Ghost. Um, it was a fantastic experience. Um, the Galloping Ghost is outside of Chicago, about 30 minutes outside of downtown. Uh, they just have every, you know, they don't have every classic game, but they had everything that I wanted to play. Um, they had, some, for example, some of the games that I'd never gotten a chance to play that I got a chance to play were uh, Tapper that in a dedicated cabinet. Was it know, Root Beer Tapper it or the Budweiser? Budweiser. Oh, snap. Budweiser Tapper. Um, we got, uh, let's see, they had uh, Timber, which I'd never gotten a chance to play in the dedicated cabinet, which is featuring the same character as the Tapper, but he's chopping down <laughs> trees. Uh, they, he gets around. Yeah. They had a, oh, and now the name is going to escape me, but you can help me. They had that holographic fighting game. Holoseum? Yeah, Holoseum. They had one of those there I got to play. Uh, what else? They had um, 
Did they have any lasers up there? Stuff from Hall of Sand? Did they have a Vegas Battle or Cliffhanger? The Dragon's Lair? Oh, no, no. I think we're thinking about different things. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a laser disc game. I'm talking about the fighting game is projected. Right, but I, I I don't I think that ran off a laser disc. I think it might have. It might have. But they did have other laser disc games there. They had a Dragon's Lair. Unfortunately, their Dragon's Lair two <laughs> and Space Ace were down. But that is not an uncommon thing with the Laserdisc games. Yeah. One thing that I was really impressed with at Galloping Ghost was the percentage of games that were up. I'd say 95% of the games, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of games, were up. Uh, I got to play original Circus, which I never got to play in, in a dedicated cabinet. Um, got to play uh, Gravatar, you know, which was great. They have, a, they have a good selection of vector stuff? They did. They did. Did, did they have um, Zookeeper? They had a Zookeeper Oh, there. and you don't see that in a dedicated cab. Yeah, probably. and yeah. I, I've got pictures of all this stuff, and I'll put them up on the blog. Mr. Do? They had a Mr. Do Did they have Mr. Castle? They did not. Did they have Do Run Run? They did not. Oh, so. sorry, but, but they. Uh, I talked to the uh, employee that was working there. And he said that they are getting ready to take over because they're in kind of a, it's not a strip mall, but they're in kind of a, a block of shops and they're getting ready to take over the next shop over. They've already taken over two of them and they're going to knock down the wall and they've got 400 more games they're going to put in. So uh, they were very, very nice. It's very reasonable. 15 bucks for all you can play. Um, for for all day, all day, holy all lord! Day. I would and I would lose my mind. You in can there. keep your receipt. You can go out and come back in. Just keep your receipt. Nice. Uh, nice. They had a, a great selection of snacks and other things, video game memorabilia, the poster set. Um, so if you're in the Chicagoland area, I highly recommend the Galloping Ghost Arcade. I was very jealous of your pictures. I was like, oh my! I God. immediately sent Aaron all kinds of pictures. Yeah, it was killing me, <laughs> killing me. The pro, you know, I'm not going to badmouth Chicago. I love Chicago, but. It's tough to go into Chicago to go to this. That's the one. I wish it was. I mean, it's pretty much in the middle of Chicago, isn't it? The no, area? it's it's outside the city. It's in the it's in a suburb of Chicago. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would love to visit it. I love to visit with a big arcade just because so, it's been so long since I was in a proper arcade. Mm-hmm. Aside from the one I own or the several that are around here that are home owned, but still the vibes a lot different when you go to a you know when you go to a proper arcade. Oh so. yeah, you get that that sound. And when you play, you know, these dedicated machines and you hear that those huge speakers that are in there just blasting right in your face off. It's awesome. Well, since Boat gave me this awesome picture, now really you ha- I had two things for you, but unfortunately, uh due to someone slothery one of them didn't get here, but I will I will explain what it is. This I saw just because I, I know you love I know you love NES cartridges. And Nintendo games, and so uh, uh, I picked this up for you. You don't have this one uh, because well, you have to just have a have a look at there. You may have seen it before, but I saw it. and I thought of you, Drunk Hunt Entertainment Flask. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a booze flask wow. in the shape of an NES cartridge. Now that is awesome. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, that looks like boat. And this will accompany me to many holiday parties. That's yeah. <laughs> now the here's the better news, and I'm hoping maybe by the end of the year we can do a little special show. I have finally acquired an, an, an Amiga 500, like a 520 video out for the, for your Amiga, and so uh, this should have been here by now, but it's not, and so. As soon as this thing comes in, uh, we should have a complete Amiga 500 for you, <laughs> and then we can actually delve into that, the massive crate of games that you've had sitting over in your garage for the past several months. All right. So, but yes, everything finally the plan has come together. I was able to procure one at a ludicrous price, but a price that I could afford. Uh, but uh, never blow this up, boat, under any circumstances, <laughs> okay. or we're all screwed. <laughs> so hopefully there'll be a uh, uh, inaugural uh, Amigos. 
getting an Amiga podcast, and then Bo can share his own Christmas memories uh, in a, in a right, year. I'll create my own Christmas memory once <laughs> yes. we get that going. I am so ready because I've got the table. Right now it's got an Atari 8-bit on it, but I'm ready to uh, move that to a different location and make that the dedicated Amiga. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, we got some feedback from last week. Uh, oh, dear. Paul Kitching wrote in. And he said, "I'm from England, and I've never heard of, I'd never heard of Chupa Chups before Zool was released." I said, "Chupa huh. Chups were from England." I don't know why I said that. I just in my mind, I thought I that thought they, they were, were too. Thing. I thought they were. So, but they are not. They are actually Spanish. I looked that up, and uh, which I guess Salvador Dali, maybe he was from Spain. Uh, <laughs> two plus two is four. <laughs> I, honestly, I thought they were British. I'm just like you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but he said the only time that he's he'd ever had one was when they included it on a uh, an Amiga magazine. You know, instead of a cover disc, you got a, a chupa chup. They put a lolly on there. Yeah, yeah. So, hmm. thank you, Paul, for setting us straight on that. Yeah, sorry. Um, Jonas wrote in. Uh, he's from O'Brien's Retro and Vintage. Right, we love them. Yeah, and he said, many, many thanks for making such a great podcast. I listen to all your episodes and can't wait until the next one is out. It has become one of the computer highlights of the week for me. It's almost the feeling I had when buying games and computer magazines in the 90s, eagerly awaiting the next issue to be released. Keep up the good work. Well, that that's so, awful nice. Of course, I it? just read that just to feed our ego, so but, thank no, you. No, <laughs> but that, that's, we appreciate that. That's awful nice. I, uh, I'm glad we provide someone with some joy. And that's, you know, that's kind of the way that I, I view this podcast, too, is that, you know, it's every week I discover a game that I've never played before because, you know, I'm new to the platform, and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. I love doing it. Um, he, uh, now, let's see. This is, oh, actually, I think I might have put that, pasted that right in the middle of Paul's uh, message because Paul's message continues on. He's got more to say. He says regarding the Amiga. Listen to this. His A500 is a Kickstart 1.2 with the Commodore key on the left. All right. And all of his friends that had Amigas also had that configuration. So he thinks of the 1.3 is the odd one out, and the 1.2 is the proper one. Well, again, us being in the U.S., uh, I don't know anyone that had a 1.2. When I got my 1000, obviously I had nothing. But the Kickstart disc that I had was handed to me when I bought it was a 1.3. Now I had acquired a 1.2 later on, uh, but uh, maybe you know I, maybe we were tardy to the party on that. I don't know. Yeah. So the 1.2, I I feel bad for those guys. I'm sure they upgraded pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you are actually you know any of our other UK listeners, because I know that we've got some more out there rolling in the caves, uh, Dreamcatcher. Um, you uh, uh, let us know if you had an A500 if you were in the same boat as Paul. Um, speaking of Dreamcatcher, he wrote in with some with a with a defense of Cloanto. He says that Cloanto, uh, those folks did talk to the rights holders of the games that they include and got permission to include them on there. That they just include the cracked versions just because it's easier. But they do. But they did get their permission from the original rights. It is holders. odd though. Isn't now um, he said he prefaced this with "It is my understanding" or something to that degree. So he, it wasn't the official word, but I guess he'd read that from someone over at Cloanto, um, and uh, and he said that that might have been part of the reason why I couldn't get Dragon's Lair to work was because it was never properly cracked and that uh, it was doing weird things that the the more the the higher editions than the value edition would provide um you know if that's the case that's fine but uh i still think it's a little bit weird to load up an officially licensed product and have a bunch of unofficially <laughs> licensed t- titles the only thing i can think of that would make any sense 
in that. Again, I, I don't speak for Cloanto. Um, and Cloanto, to my, the best of my knowledge, has, ever, has always been a, a good partner of the community. So I will say that. That much said, the only thing I can, only reason I can think that you would include a, a cracked version of a game is is if there's some sort of manual check that we can't get past mm-hmm. as a consumer, mm-hmm. or something that would make the game unusable in a normal form. It is strange. It seems it seems sort of unprofessional mm-hmm. to have a crack. Don't get me wrong. I, I was a dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy pirate myself back in the day. That much said, it, it seems odd that a commercial product would come out, and the first thing you'd see when you load up a game is a weird crack screen. It's also strange to me that even in the basic form, that the, the uh, that the product you purchase will not run something that you could run with the free <laughs> version of WinUAE. You know that seems odd. Uh, so don't know. Yeah. I, I'm looking into the whole Cluanto thing. I'm actually talking with a fellow about that so i'm we may somewhere down the road we may have a good hard look at the at, at one of their packages and, and go through it okay that yeah. sounds great that sounds like a great in the interest of fairness if anything but uh, you know it's uh, for some people the Colanto pack is just is really the only way they're going to get to experience an amiga right. and i want to give the guys the benefit of the doubt sure but it is all right hey i'm with you though the the things you experience are oddball to me yeah. they doesn't that doesn't seem like a professional way to go yeah so. And last but not least, uh, we have uh, Rob O'Hara. Flack sent in this uh, this little news tidbit. You may know Flack from his work on the Sprite Castle C64 podcast, or uh, you don't know Flack. I, lo- I love this last episode on uh, his IBM PC history. That was the last one I heard anyway. It was quite good. So, yeah, I love Flack. Uh, he wrote in and, and said that we should check out this uh, Amiga 500 emulator that runs within the Chrome browser. And so I did. Uh, you download it from the Chrome Web Store, and you run it, and it loads up a an Amiga desktop. Uh, it's really quite impressive, you know, the what can be done within a browser these days. Uh, they do upsell you. You have to, if you want to use your own ADF files, it's ninety nine cents. But considering this is Cloanto again, considering they charge you, you know. 10 bucks for the cheapest version of Amiga Forever. If all you want to do is jump in there and play some games in your browser, a buck is not a whole lot of money. What now the the uh I saw this I linked it even but I didn't actually check it out. The uh the the browser version is can you change kickstart roms? Can you what can you do with it exactly? Can uh, you mount? I don't think so. I think it's only 1.3. Uh-huh. But um and can you can you dock to the uh Amiga up to your different processors so to give you the options that a UAE does? Or I don't think so. I think it's very simple. Uh-huh. You know, it basically it boots up an Amiga desktop, uh-huh. and you can run the various demos that came with the Amiga, and, you know, if you want to add ADF files, I didn't pay the buck, but uh, I assume that there's a way that you, you know, drag and drop a file into there or something, um, and that allows you to do that. But, uh, but, yeah, it was really cool. I ran the Juggler demo. I ran the Boing Demo, yeah, yeah, and it, it worked. How did it seem like it ran pretty well? It did. It ran very smoothly, and uh, I hope that this allows for things. You know, I'm all about the the. You know, I think just I think that we're going to see more and more browser based things in the future. Everything is is heading that way for good or for ill, and uh, I would love to have you know be able to fire up an NES emulator at work or you know anything like that. And since it's just running through the browser. Uh, you know, you don't have to deal with a lot of the limitations that you do when you're on a work computer, you know, normally. Well, with HTML5, uh, 
becoming more prominent in the uh, fact that Chrome is they've got a lot of stuff uh, mixed into that browser. Uh, uh, I'm not surprised, and it's it's I think it's neat, and it's a tribute to the popularity of the Amiga that someone would take the time to even do something like that. Yeah, you know, and and and, the, and that got a lot of uh, air. That got a lot of airplay because I I heard about it on a bunch of different sites. People were talking about it, and not in just Amiga site. So people still remember. People are still interested. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you got any more news, Aaron? That's a, you, you covered it, man. All right. Well, let's jump in to James Pond Two. Ooh. So James Pond Two, codename Robocod, also known as Super James Pond, has many names. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a sequel to the original James Pond. Um, what can you tell us about the developer? Well, they didn't do much aside from the Pond the Pond series. They did. All, they did. Uh, they were there. Uh, the developer was called Vector Dean Limited. Uh, they did James Ponds. All those. They did a game called Bad Company, which I'm not familiar with. They get they did another game which is interesting to me. It's a sound this interesting. It's called Aquatic Games, featuring James Pond and the Aqua Bits or Aqua Bats, I should say. <laughs> and that, I don't know what that is, but I don't know. That's like an old Mr. Science Theater short. <laughs> uh, and so I, that would be interesting to see. I, I'm a, I, I didn't, you know, there was very little on these guys. Um, I don't know if this was just uh, the uh, same team just doing everything, and it was their, their outfit. I'm assuming that's what it was. It was probably like a, a developer of like four guys, basically. Because mm-hmm. if, if you look at who worked in this game, they pretty much didn't, with the exception of the, of the fellow that did the music, they didn't do much else aside from these games that were mentioned, Aquatic Games and Bad Company, the James Bond series. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this also falls into the tradition of uh, platformers for the Amiga that had a product tie-in. Uh, if you watch, <laughs> you know it's weird. I don't ever think about that, but it's the Amiga. They were they had the handout, man. Yeah. These guys wanted the money. Yeah. Um, if you watch the <laughs> intro of the game, you can see that there are uh, penguins that uh, the um, our uh, character James is rescuing, and uh, they actually are turned into biscuits. Uh, and as we all know, uh, biscuits are not biscuits uh, the way that we think of them in America, but more like the way we think about cookies. This game is very British. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it is, uh, I guess this uh, company, or this game was sponsored by the McVitie's Biscuit Company. <laughs> And uh, it is, uh, and penguin biscuits were a kind of biscuit that you could get. Um, now the uh, earlier or later later ports of this game dropped that uh, that that product tie-in, um, but uh, they are uh, and actually they're replaced by Santa's elves rather than penguins, which you know fits the uh, the story of the game. I was wondering about that. Cause, I mean, I wonder what versions. Of course, the the version I put on the Amiga it had the penguins. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the the Amiga ever got an elves version or those were on the consoles, perhaps. Well, because I could, of, I tried to find out and I couldn't figure. I couldn't find it anywhere. A lot of these ports came way after. Uh, you know, this came out in '91. Uh, the this game was ported to the Game Boy Advance and PlayStation in 2003. Yeah, on the PlayStation Network. It's I could not believe how many places this was ported. Mm-hmm. It was it was so, baffling. Yeah, Game Boy Advance and PlayStation in 2003, <laughs> the Nintendo DS in 2005, PS2 in 2006, and the PlayStation Network in 2009. And on top of the fact that it was released in the Atari ST, the Genesis, right. the C64, the mm. Archimedes, DOS, Game Gear. I mean, you're like, I think it got ported more than Zool. I and mean, yeah. when you think of big platforms that came off the Amiga, 
you know, I, the ones I think of are Zool and maybe Shadow of the Beast, like that. But I, James Pond too, it would never occur to me. Yeah, that it was and maybe much. you know, it could just be one of those things where it was huge overseas. It was I, it was huge in England. It, I, you know, you know, everybody's got them. <laughs> they're good eating, I, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully, they're still around. Um, the oh, which reminds me, it's going off off the off the reservation. But uh, the chocolate orange, you, you, are you familiar with the chocolate orange? Yes, yeah, I, I know, yeah, yeah. Um, that is a, a British thing, uh-huh. and um, but they they closed down the factory, the chocolate orange factory. Oh no! Yeah, and but, uh, now they're being made in like Poland or someplace, you know, where it's oh, cheaper. Jeez, they're good eating too. Yeah, that's like too a, bad. I like a good chocolate orange around Christmas time. It's I, I don't think the last time I've seen one of those. It's been forever. Yeah, I get them at Michaels. Oh, that's man. the chocolate orange yeah. capital. Of you West mean the, the drugstore? No, Michaels the, the art, art store, store, the craft oh. store. Oh, so that makes much more sense. Get them at an art supply store. <laughs> All right, back to James Pond. Um, so, the uh, apparently, according to the official <laughs> canon, uh, the game <laughs> takes place immediately after its predecessor. Um, so, Doctor Maybe, who is the main antagonist, uh, he has retreated to the North Pole and he's taken over Santa's workshop. So that is why we're doing this game this week. This is why O'Brien's Retro and Vintage uh, has suggested that we do this game. Um, and uh, basically, uh, Doctor Maybe has turned Santa's helpers into evil minions, and James Pond has to go in there and uh, you know free the penguins that have been taken captive, retrieve the stolen cho- toys for the children of the world, and defeat Doctor Maybe once and for all. Maybe you, the um, uh, the the developers of this game really liked puns. Yeah, and they, <laughs> I mean, ponder this for a moment. You when you said that we were something we had been requested. So this is a this is a fish. I'm assuming this fish game solely exists because of the pun from James Bond. Mm-hmm. Then it and then <laughs> there's a second then, pond layer. Then, they, or a then they've got they've had more. It. They've got to add more puns about RoboCop. Yep. So they had to put that in there. Then the, then had they said, you know, what does a robotic fish James Bond need to do? A Christmas adventure. <laughs> what the hell? So let's do that. This is the most. This is the weird amalgamation of, of I don't know of, of a drug induced ride I've ever seen. <laughs> and this got published. It was very popular. It's yeah. baffling to me. The story's baffling. And so you know, you basically the story is you go through. You start out the Santa's Toy Factory, and you go through all these different <laughs> levels. Uh, there's secret stages. There's there's actually fifty levels in total. I did not see all fifty levels. No, myself. no. Um, this uh, part of the RoboCod suit uh, enables him to. When you press the button, it's a very odd power. Um, you are able to stretch your torso uh, to what appears to be an infinite distance. I mean, you never run out of space. You only run out until you hit the ceiling. That was when I, when I tried it. That was as far as I could go. You know, it is odd, but I had to say. It's actually a neat play mechanic. It is. It, it reminded me kind of like Bionic Commando or something you, like you, that. You know what it reminded me of? This is somebody, because you have to be clever the way you stretch sometimes, but there's baggage around. It reminded me, parts of it reminded me of Anteater. Remember an oh, Anteater? You've yeah. got that big, long tongue, and you got to get it whipped back in before the bad guys whack you, mm-hmm. you know? And it, what? A, and I, I guess they could have just had like, is it, it's sort of the equivalent of throwing a rope with a grappling hook yeah. and just shimmying up. 
but it's so wacky. It is, and this game is so wacky that stretching your torso like that, sure, what the heck? That's <laughs> it fits right in, and the look on dude's face when he does it is oh, wacky, yeah. just like. <laughs> and there's a couple other things that I thought were kind of neat in this game that I've never seen on any other game, like the way that your lives are presented. You know, instead of just having a three with a little man symbol underneath it, you've got uh, a portrait of James himself holding up fingers for however many lives you have left. And the fewer lives you have, the more his expression twists into this grimace, (laughs) this golem-like, you know, (laughs) horrible grimace. And uh, so that was neat. Um, I liked the, uh, you know, this is another Zool-like thing where there's just a billion different kinds of things you can collect through the levels that give you points. It wasn't as bad as Zool, but it was, I mean, at the very first level, you just collect stuff for like, a full minute before you see anyone. <laughs> I was like, "Is there? Are, is this thing screwed up? Where are the bad guys? They're just collecting junk." And, it- and at the end of the level, um, it was weird. At the end of the very first level, and I don't know if I did this right or not, but I got this. There was this car that jumped out, yes. and then I rode you, the car know. back to the beginning of the level, and yeah. then I was done. <laughs> That's I was. I'm glad I wasn't the only one because I, I went through the level and I got everything you could do, and I just stood there like. And I had gotten the car and jumped out of it, so the car was just sort of driving around. And I jumped back in, and I was like, "What the hell am I doing with this car?" <laughs> and so I, I went. I was like, "I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning." I didn't know why. And then the, the level just ended. I was like, "Okay, then. All right. I, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Sounds good." I was just happy because I actually finished a level in Amiga platform <laughs> because that, that rarely happens. You know, I will say this: much like a lot of these platformers, we had a look at. Uh, someone had played Mario. And thought, hey, me too, mm-hmm. because this had mystery boxes of plenty. Now they mixed it up a little bit, and they'd have the poison come out, right. or bad guys would come out. And which... what was odd, I thought, was that you know the the mystery box when you hit it, you know you're stopped and you go back down. But then instead of having to kind of jump around the place where the box had been, you can jump right through it yeah. once it's been activated. It's it, and they had different sizes of mystery box. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I said, when you said the car came out, and I know planes can come out right. and stuff. I didn't get far enough to see a plane, uh, but uh, uh, wacky. It was it, it, very strange. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, and there was uh, the backgrounds had that sort of. Uh, it's basically a static picture that was was uh just kind of scroll yeah scrolling. well it was mm-hmm. but it was one big picture we played another game that did that too where um, it was just well adam's I, family did that yeah, a little bit where it just would it would show one big picture in the back and it would kind of you would kind of scroll on its own as mm-hmm. you went through mm-hmm. that's an okay effect yeah. It got all, yeah and it's not great the graphics on this are not what i would call spectacular no. i mean they had some nice flourishes and touches but i mean this is 91 <laughs> we're getting out around the time that the heavy hitters started to appear on the 16-bit platforms. Right. The Amiga had a five- or six-year stretch where they were all by themselves, and everything that they did looked spectacular. Yeah, this, by comparison, you know, it it looked a little, you know, it was underwhelming, I guess is the best way to put it. And there was an AGA version of this game. Which I I, I tried to get it to work, and I I had trouble getting this to run on my Amiga, to be completely honest with you. I don't know if I just had bad versions. I ended up having to play this on my Xbox. Yeah, I didn't, I don't know what made the the AGA version (laughs) special. But um, it does exist. I'd like to have tried the thirty, the CD32 version, which apparently this is one of the first games to come out in the CD32. Um, I have a CD32. I don't have this game. I, I would hope that it would have a separate button for jump. Yeah. Like this is another one of those boat's mm-hmm. favorites where you have to point up for jump. And th- that's a pain on this one. It was a little harder than it's been on the other ones. I would have liked to have had a button. And something else that 
that RoboCod did that annoyed me. It's one of those games where after you stop, your guy sort of scoots to the whichever then with momentum, mm-hmm. and it that was I fought the controller in this. Not it wasn't as bad as Super Frog, but it was it wasn't in the same ballpark as say Adam's Family where you had really good control. Right, this was not as tight. somewhere in the middle. Um, the uh, actually we should take a look at that CD32 versus Subtime because when EGM reviewed the game, they said that uh, there is a. <laughs> quote, extremely pixelated full motion video yeah. intro. I had read that and I was very excited to see <laughs> that. Uh, that I, I'd want, There were some intros on the CD32 that required the MPEG card, but if this one was really pixelated, I'm guessing this one didn't require it. It just wasn't very good. Mm. But uh, I'd, I'd like to see. Like I said, I tried like gangbusters to get my uh, my 1200 to run the CD32 version and it wasn't happening for whatever reason. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that it scored, it scored pretty well uh, in in some magazines. Um, the uh, K magazine, uh, I guess it's called Ace, uh, gave the Amiga <laughs> version a score of nine thirty four out of a thousand, which I just really it it pleases me to know in that there it was at one time a magazine that had a thousand point rating scale. I wonder how how they came up with <laughs> yeah, that nine thirty four out of a thousand. Uh, not nine thirty five. They couldn't. They couldn't just knock a couple of digits off that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, they, uh, you know, a lot of the ports did not review as well as the Amiga version, which is the case with Sword of Sodan and a lot of the other games. You know, they had to make a lot of cuts when they were doing that. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's what I've got. Uh, I guess um, you know the ST version scored pretty well. Um, what do you have? Do you have any other kind well, of... Well, the uh, one thing, it's, it's a one-disc game, which is they pack a lot on, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the uh, the guy that programmed it and developed it, I had a look at him. The, uh, let me pull up the feller's name here. Uh, Chris Sorrell, right? He this is he did again much like this company which I'm guessing these guys may be connected with the developer and this fellow uh, he he did he did the coding he co-coded it co-designed it and he pretty much he did the James uh, the James uh, Pond series and not much else a couple things uh, the uh, the the person that did I didn't think the music was all that special in this I don't know what you thought about it they had a the fellow's name was uh, Richard Joseph he actually did some decent stuff. Uh, Chaos Engine. He did Cannon Fodder. Uh, he did all the James Ponds, and he did Rise of the Robots, which was a I don't know if you remember this. It's terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. horrible. And but he also did Sensible Soccer, so he had a, a certain pedigree. And mm-hmm. and I just I guess there just wasn't much room for uh, show off any you know chops. I, I'd heard that the opening the the theme of this is like a takeoff on the on the RoboCop Robo- yeah theme, but I you know. Who knows what? I don't know what the heck the RoboCop theme is. Maybe it's not exactly on the on yeah. the level of the Star Wars theme. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Um, I looked this up on eBay as I want to do to see if what uh, what kind of action you could get off of it. Uh, now I looked up the Amiga version. Of course, this was out on everything, and uh, so I don't know how hard it's going to be to find that on Genesis or whatever. I'm not sure I've ever seen one of these cartridges for the Genesis. Do you? Boy, I think that I've seen the Super Nintendo version somewhere. It's called Super James Pond. Uh huh. And I guess there's Game Boy versions, uh, mm-hmm. you know. But what everything was released for those. Yeah. Um, eBay plentiful, <laughs> plentiful in box. Uh, you're looking at in U.S. dollars. You're looking at fifteen to thirty bucks all day long in the U.S. I saw some overseas, Australia. You can get you a little something if it, you, I saw it down there. I saw it in the U.K., Germany. Plenty of these to go around. So apparently, obviously, this must have sold pretty well because it's still. 
easy to get hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice, and this is for our fans in the U.S. I noticed that um, um, if you have the if you have the PAL version of this, you can actually use the cheat screen in this to change it over to NTSC. I haven't got a chance to test this yet, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go uh, and see if that will help me. Uh, but uh, that's handy. I wish all the games would <laughs> would have an option to mm-hmm. do that. Uh, but uh, overall, you know, uh, I, I I got I didn't get real far, and I tried. It, I got frustrated um, with the with the actual accuracy the, of the of the controls. That was my biggest problem. With I mean, really, I, I kind of like the concept. I liked the way the levels worked, where you had to rescue all the penguins before uh, you could leave. Um, the enemies, I mean, in some ways, this is sort of plain Jane. Mm-hmm. Not the, I don't, not the cut on the game because I know a lot of people really like it. I'm not killing the game, but I mean, it, it was it was a, a rehash of Mario gameplay in a lot of ways. The uh, the vehicles was interesting. You know, the ones I found, the uh, the bad guys, I didn't see anything that was particularly incredible. You know, eh. I didn't get real far though. They might get better. But uh, I didn't think this was a uh, anything special. I thought yeah. it was I thought it was an average game. Yeah. And once again, the spikes, you know, the spikes just kill you. Yeah. And well, I mean, the, another thing that was weird about it was the fact that so often you were required to take a blind leap. Yeah. And and there are clever ways you can do it. You can sort of, but I mean, there something else about this is when you use your your cod your your RoboCod powers. You you know you can't robocut up through platforms or down through them, so you really can't use it to, and you can't do it midair. Mm-hmm. That would have been an awesome addition because then you could have jumped in midair, robocut it up, mm-hmm. grabbed the roof, and then stretched down to see what the heck was under you before oh, yeah. you just you just leapt off into the in the space. I mean, I guess you have to memorize a lot of the level layout, mm-hmm. which that takes away from the fun. You know, one thing about these games, and we've said it before, Zool and this one and, and Super Frogs, if if they they didn't really take good game level design into account on a lot of these, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that would have went a long way because I like the concept of having the stretching ability. I think they could have, there's a lot of action that you could have used to play, play with that and made it a lot more fun. But, uh, you know, I'll go back to it. And tr- once I get better at it, maybe I'll have a different opinion. But like I said, to me, it seemed a little slightly above average. There were some flourishes, but overall an average game. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's time for the scores. Well, I'm not confident, Boat, because you're a lot better at these games than me. But I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. Okay. Uh, and I'm sorry to say, I didn't, <laughs> this is I know this isn't a great score, but the best I could come up with was uh, 362,300 points. You beat me by a lot. 199,600. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> then so. you must be really bad. At this <laughs> I was game. terrible, uh, Boat, because that's 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 pitiful. <laughs> that's pitiful. <laughs> Well then, um, so this concludes our yes. our talk. Uh, Finally, congratulations. I beat Boater to platformer. <laughs> um, we are going to uh, <laughs> next week. Uh, we're going to do Cannon Fodder. Uh, it is a uh, it's a game that needs no introduction. I've never played Cannon Fodder, so I've, I've never owned it. I've never had it, and so I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. I know it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of fans. Yeah, and, I've, and, and it, I, again, another game that was on a lot of systems. I played it on the uh, on Windows uh, Windows 3.1 uh, back in the day, but I'm really looking forward to uh, playing it the Amiga version, the original, and probably still the best. Um, so uh, 
Now it's time to get into our Amiga Christmas Memories oh boy. section. I can't wait for this. Um, and so uh, we're going to uh, start with Aaron. Oh, you want my, you want my I want memories? Yours. I want your memories. Well, I don't have any Amiga Christmas memories per se. However, I do. Uh, you can you can do a retro computer. Well, I memory when I when I brought this whole situation up, I was I told both this. I was driving around in the car. I, I drive a lot in my job, and I was thinking about uh, my twelve hundred, where it came from, and uh, uh, the, I got it from a fellow named Larry. I think I've mentioned him before. Larry was a. a uh, uh, a good friend of mine that uh, back when I was had just got out of high school, he was an Amiga guy. We used to get together and uh, and have big, huge copy parties, just the two of us. But I remember coming. He lived right down the road from me, and I would come over to his house, and uh, I'd go in and see his see his wife, and she'd be she'd know who I was, and she'd be, he's downstairs, and I'd go in, and the lights would all be off, and I'd have to feel my way down to the basement, and I'd hear the music playing. It was usually some Pink Floyd, and Larry would have three Amigas and maybe a PC going, and they'd all be running fractals. If you remember, these were a big deal back in the day. And uh, uh, we would come down. I would come down there and, and greet him, and we'd just kick back and chat and wa- and watch these fractals. And it was very peaceful. Uh, and Larry was always a good guy to me. Uh, I'd go over to Swap Software, but we basically were just chatting. And we both loved it. We loved the computer. The Amiga was fun. It was a fun time to be into computers back in the day. Uh, it seemed simpler, you know. Of course, that was before I had a family and responsibilities and to earn money, so I could just sit there and <laughs> not have as many cares. But uh, uh, it was a beautiful time, and it was always fun to to uh, get new goodies and and uh, uh, chat with your friend. We used to swap a lot of mod files. That was one of our things, and so it was always neat to fire up. The, the uh, mod player and, and listen to these this new music we'd managed to get hold of. Uh, great memories I have. Larry uh, got sick and uh, they and his family moved from their house in Hurricane. This is years just just a few years ago, and I got a phone call uh, and uh, it was his son who was a real good friend of mine who was asking me you know was you, if I was still into the Amiga scene and would, would I like to come over and, just, and pick up all the computer stuff because if I didn't take it they're just gonna throw it out. And they had they had the twelve hundred that I picked up. They had the five hundred that Boat's got now, in that mix, and uh, some 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 C sixty fours, and uh, they just gave them to me. And he said Larry wanted you to have them because he knew you would appreciate them. And he's right. I appreciate the hell out of them, and still do. And I think Boat will appreciate his. And uh, you know, and Larry actually has gotten a little bit better. And uh, uh, hopefully one of these days maybe I'll I'll do a quick. Uh, telephone interview with him he's but he was around the amiga scene a lot longer than i was back in the day and he's probably got some good stories but i i never forgot that it's very touching when someone reaches out because we'd lost touch over the years uh and it you know it was neat that he remembered me and the times we used to have from back in the day and was kind enough to to set me up and uh without larry there would absolutely probably now boat may jump do it but there i would not be involved in any sort of amiga scene or amiga podcast because i would be out of the game. So, you know, I appreciate it. It's a pleasant memory I have, the old fella. All right. Um, well, I guess I'll share my memory next. Uh, my memory is not about the Amiga because I did not have an Amiga growing up. Um, I I didn't even know what an Amiga was because I was just <laughs> living in another world. I was living in the 8-bit world. Uh, when I was probably... 
I don't know, six or seven, my dad uh, bought us an Atari 1200 XL, which is the, um, if you have any of the Atari machines, the 1200 XL is, is the most obscure of all the released Atari 8-bit computers. Uh, it, um, But, you know, it was my first computer, and uh, my favorite computer Christmas memory was every year Atari would send us a software catalog. And uh, I guess, it, yeah, it must have been Atari because all of their games, you know, if you're familiar with the carts, they all look the same. You know, they were third-party carts. Yeah. But, uh, Horrible. Yeah. Brown. <laughs> and um, But, you know, I would look at it and I would look at the titles like 3D Tic-Tac-Toe. And, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking about the Star Wars chess, you know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> well, this is just going to be just like that. I'm going to get that. Um, <laughs> basketball, you know, and they wouldn't have any screenshots in this catalog. It was just all in your mind. And it would talk about experience the thrill of two-on-two basketball. And, of course, they were talking about having an Atari 800, which had four joystick parts. I only had two. But, you know, just the way that video games used to be marketed, and this goes with the uh, the 2600, too, is that, you know, so much of the action had to take place in your mind. I think that's you know? why the box art was so beautiful, yeah, right? Yeah, And so I still remember looking through those catalogs <laughs> and reading those descriptions over and over again before yeah. I made my selections. And uh, I can tell you, unfortunately, that 3D tic-tac-toe is very little to do with the uh, three-dimensional Star Wars chess played on the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Just a few years early for that. Yeah. Huh? Now, is the, is the 800, or is the Amiga, or the Atari you've got here, here is this is this the same one? It is the exact same system. You, it is the only system that I had, well, uh, I guess it's not. I have a couple other systems that are originally the ones that I had, but this is the this is the actual, I've had to retrace the uh, the connections on the keyboard several uh-huh. times to keep it working, um, but it still you know it still fires up and works like a charm. You can't see it, folks, but I'm looking over at, at Boat's setup here, and he's got his he's got his 800 set up. He's got his or his 1200 XL. He's got his joystick set up. He's he's got uh, everything set to go. It's like a little it's like a little uh, a tribute zone over here. Yeah. And I've played on this thing. I, I I'm a big 800 and 1200. I have I have uh, what do I have? Boat and I've got a you've 400, got a- and I've got the uh, XEGS. Uh, the X, uh, uh, the XEGS at the house, uh, so I now I was also late to the party on the on the Atari, but uh, uh, I've come over here and played boats and it's have a lot of fun. You know, hey, you can't go wrong with the old stuff. It's, it's good a great stuff. little system for sure. Um, What's the toilet paper for? The toilet paper is that's a good question. There's a roll of toilet paper beside it. <laughs> this is not this is not casting the Atari in good light. <laughs> it's to dry my tears when I cannot you know beat my score. Is that max. what that's for? <laughs> Bring a new roll. I've also got some trombone mute sitting over I, there. I was wondering about that. <laughs> It's a table that serves many functions. I see that. Um, but anyway, that's the. Uh, I might take a picture of the old Atari since it is going to be moved soon to make way for the Amiga. Ooh, huzzah! Yeah. All right, and uh, now we're going to listen to a couple of our uh, listener uh, stories. So take it away, listeners. Our first memory comes from Paul Shaw from Melbourne, Australia. Take it away, Paul. Hi guys, this is Paul Shaw from Melbourne, Australia. My most memorable Amiga Christmas was the year 1992 and I remember in December of that year walking into my local newsagent to see if they had the new edition of Amiga format and I walked in and sure enough there it was and right on the front cover in massive lettering I couldn't believe it there was two new Amigas out there was the amazing Amiga 4000 
and then there was also the Amiga 1200. So two machines out at roughly the same time, and this was the first I'd ever heard of them, and both reviewed in that magazine. So this was such big news because for a long time, Amiga fans had been waiting for a, a new machine, particularly the entry-level models, where there hadn't been much since the Amiga 500. It was the, the biggest news for the entry-level since that time. So there you go. My most memorable Amiga Christmas was 1992. So have a good Christmas, everyone. Bye. Our next memory comes from Chicagoland's own Sean Courtney from the Pie Factory podcast. Aaron, John, happy Christmas. This is Sean from the Pie Factory podcast and a couple of other side things I do here and there. And first off, thank you to uh, John Boat of Karshaller for having me on the uh, the Amigos podcast recently. I really enjoyed our little chat. When I heard that you guys were going to be taking some submissions for your Amiga Christmas special, I guess, uh, not that every other episode of Amigos is not special, of course, I kind of struggled over what to say because, well, I don't really have any Christmas-specific memories about the Amiga or Amiga-specific memories about Christmas and when I think about it, I got into the Amiga around 1993, and right about then is when it wasn't easy to find Amiga stuff out in the wild. You had to do it all through mail order, and that might be why I never really have any Amiga-specific Christmas memories. I never got any Amiga-related Christmas presents, except in 2003, I got a gift certificate from an in-law for a place called Software Hut. You guys might remember that, maybe you don't, but Software Hut they were based out of Westchester, Pennsylvania, and uh, they were the main Amiga dealer in the United States. No, oh, I think they, they really started being the main Amiga dealer probably like around the uh, mid to late 90s. And uh, eventually they moved to Exton, Pennsylvania, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So my wife told everybody, Software Hut gift certificate, Software Hut gift certificate. <laughs> So that's what I have to say about that. I actually, I've actually been to Software Hut a couple of times. I used to live in New Jersey before, for about eight years before I moved back to Chicago. And uh, there were a couple of times when I actually went to Software Hut for various um, unfortunate circumstances. Mainly, uh, my PowerPC accelerators kept dying. Um, and while I was there, I saw they had the most amazing, amazing setup in their workshop. They had like aisles and aisles and aisles full of every Amiga thing you'd ever heard of, including stuff you've never heard of, such as hardware for information kiosks that it just wasn't well known were Amiga powered. I have a lot of great memories about the Amiga, but again, not so much Christmas related. Uh, I remember, of course, getting my first Amiga, which was an Amiga 600. I had been using a Commodore 64C for uh, about five years at the time. After using the Commodore 64 for so long and then connecting the Amiga and powering it up to Robocop 3D, which was one of the software titles included, my little mind was blown sky high. I, I could hardly talk. Man, going from 8-bit to 16-bits, it's uh, quite, a, quite a culture shock, I guess, even though I don't really see 8-16-bit uh, uh, to 16 -bit as a culture, I guess, but uh, you know what I mean. I remember the BBS scene in the early nineties. How, uh, that's how I, that's basically how I met a lot of Amiga friends, most of whom, if not all of whom pretty much dropped off the face of the earth by now. But, um, I, that was some good times, uh, meeting, uh, people in person, uh, having swap parties of, uh, 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yes, sorry about that. I, I think I'm coming down with something. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> here's uh, something that I should mention. Now, I had mentioned uh, when I talked with uh, with you, John, that when I was in college, I took a um, I don't know what the heck they called it, but it was a course in which it was basically a video toaster course. I was a journalism major. I started as computer science for various reasons. I switched to journalism and most of the computers in the journalism department were Amigas. There are Amiga 500s for, say, the print journalism classes. There was an Amiga 2000 in the TV production studio, which had a video toaster, of course. And I know one of the uh, one of the professors had an Amiga 3000 in her office. But naturally, because I was such an Amiga person, I had to take the video toaster class just so that I could get college credit for uh, for futzing around with an Amiga. And um, against my will, I had to take a TV production class to meet my credits. Funny story on the first day of class when uh, we we were kind of going around the room introducing ourselves. You know, I said to the professor, I said, look, Rick, I have nothing against you. You're a good guy. I like you and everything, but I, and I have nothing against any of my classmates here, but I do not want to be here. <laughs> and he laughed and thanked me for my honesty. But uh, long story short, uh, one of the projects that we had to do as a class was uh, basically a 30-minute uh, videotaped piece. And what we came up with was a uh, kind of a wacky soap opera situation. It was a soap opera about a soap company. So... <laughs> And yeah, we went there. We went there. So we were trying to think of things to, you know, spice it up and everything. And I came up with uh, a soundtrack. Um, I, I'll have to see if I still have the, uh, the 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 mod files and everything. But the soundtrack I came up with using Octomed, actually. And uh, when we did the final post-production on it, what I did was I took the, uh, I, loaded a, I loaded up Octomed on the Amiga 2000 in the TV studio and piped the uh, the Amiga's audio outputs into the mixing board uh, that was connected to uh, the videotape and everything, and I mixed it that way. Anyway, at the end of the year, the uh, TV and radio station at the at the uh, the college would have an awards banquet. The radio station would give various awards. I won, by the way, John. You'll especially like this one for the radio station. I won best specialty show, and my specialty show was. Basically, two hours every Monday night of really obscure Beach Boys music. So yeah, I was shocked that I beat out 19 other shows for that. But I also won an award from the TV station for best original score. And they had told me that was the first time they had ever done that because I had necessitated that. And people really liked the score. And it was all because of um, Octomed. So there you have it. God, I have a lot, a lot of good memories, a lot of good memories about the Amiga, a lot of expensive memories about the Amiga, which is why I'm no longer really in the Amiga community, but I love hearing you guys talk about it. So thank you. Thank you, Aaron and John, for doing your show. Yeah, I remember uh, other other Amiga memories, like say uh, when uh, my wife and I got together and I moved in with her, we had a one-bedroom apartment and not a lot of room, so my Amiga was set up on our kitchen table. <laughs> That was especially great when I got when I upgraded to an Amiga 4000 and had this well for what an Amiga was a behemoth computer just sitting right there in the kitchen. Yeah, just try eating around that thing. It's uh, kind of an interesting experience, but so anyway, I'm not going to I'm not going to bogart too much of your time, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Again, Aaron and John, thank you so much for the Amigos podcast and um back to you. Next up, we've got a memory from Rob Flack O'Hara. 
My buddy Justin and I both owned Commodore 64 computers. We called the same BBSs, we played the same games, and we constantly called and talked to each other about Commodore 64-related stuff. Uh, And I remember the time that he called me and said that he had got rid of his Commodore 64 and upgraded to an Amiga. Now, this was at the end of what most people would consider to be the Commodore 64's lifespan. This was uh, in the early 1990s. So by then, most people were starting to migrate to 16-bit computers. I had hung on to the Commodore longer than a lot of my friends did. So Justin got an Amiga for Christmas, and I remember shortly after Christmas driving over to his house to check it out, and, and there were a lot of simple things that the Amiga could do that were mind-blowing compared to what the Commodore 64 could do. I remember him showing me the Amiga Juggler demo, which I had seen on television and in magazines, but seeing it in real life in person on a monitor just really looked amazing. And even the Amiga bouncing ball, uh, you know, with the, the sound effects and the rotating ball looked really cool. But what I really remember about that trip was the game Walker. I think you guys have talked about Walker on the podcast before, and if you haven't seen Walker, it's a game where it's a very simple game uh, with a scrolling, I guess you would call it a mech, uh, a two-leg walker. It looked like a ATST from Star Wars, if you're familiar with that, or Ed 209, maybe, from RoboCop. And the game is very simple. You You scrolled across the screen, you walked, Uh, You used either the keyboard or the joystick to move the robot across the screen. And then you used the mouse for the targeting system to shoot. And I've gone back and looked at footage of this game on YouTube, and it doesn't really look that amazing today, obviously, compared to modern graphics and things like that. But boy, at that time, that was really cool. And I remember he just had the demo for this game. So it must have just been the first version, or maybe it was time limited, something I don't remember. But I do remember we spent a lot of time playing that. That is one of the first games I remember that required two hands, you know, controlling uh, the the walker with one hand and using the mouse to shoot. Of course, uh, later on with uh, first-person shooters and and things like Doom, when those uh, definitely took off and became popular, that two-hand control system, uh, we all (laughs) had to master uh, if we wanted to play those types of games. But Walker is the first one I remember that required both hands like that at the same time. Uh, And just the graphics, the 3D-type modeling that was on the actual ship. And, of course, you had all this beautiful uh, parallax scrolling going on as the walker moved over and all the little details of the little things you would shoot and people running around and explosions. I just remember uh, thinking that compared to the uh, 8-bit computer games that I had grown up playing, that this was definitely a huge step uh, forward in graphics. Maybe not in gameplay depth per se, but just seeing it seemed very exciting and Uh, Based on that game, I just knew that there were going to be great games coming out for the next generation of 16-bit computers. So when I think about uh, the Amiga and Christmas, that's what I think about that trip where I drove out to my buddy Justin's house to uh, see his new computer system and some of the new games uh, that he had acquired. So anyway, uh, to all uh, the Amigos listeners and Sprite Castle fans and everybody else out there who supports these old computer systems, I hope you have a great holiday and I hope... Uh, that you are still enjoying these old computers around the holidays. 
And our final memory comes from Jonas from O'Brien's Retro and Vintage. He wrote this one in, so I'll read it. Christmas 1995. I was the proud owner of an Amiga 1200 with a whopping 120 megabyte hard drive. I used the computer for everything, like writing texts, playing games, listening to mod files, some simple programming and graphics, watching demos, etc. It was hooked up to an old but working TV set. Christmas morning I checked if Santa had visited us, and apparently he had, since the Christmas stockings hang on the door. In the stockings were an issue of my favorite magazine, CU Amiga. I was very happy since it came with cover discs and lots of stuff to read. I even loved reading the adverts for hardware and sucking in all the information about them. Later that day, we visited my grandparents and celebrated Christmas with them. As is the tradition here in Norway, all presents are opened after Christmas dinner in the evening. I don't remember many of the gifts, but when everyone had unwrapped their presents, there was one big present left. Everyone said it was for my grandfather, but suddenly that was not true. It was for me. I couldn't believe it and became excited. I unwrapped it, and guess what? It was a brand new 1438S monitor from Amiga Technologies. I was so happy, as I was used to an old eyesore TV set. It was the best Christmas ever. When we got home, I was allowed to hook it up and try it out before bed, and it was so great. The colors, the stereo sound. First thing I tried was a demo of Z-Wolf 2. My parents told me that I had that they'd ordered the monitor from Masters, an Amiga dealer in Oslo, but there had been some problems with the delivery. The monitor was therefore sent by train the day before Christmas Eve, and my father had picked it up just in time. A Christmas miracle. All right, thanks, Jonas, for sending that in. And thank you to all of our listeners who have submitted memories, and thanks to all of you for listening. Um, I'm going to close out this episode by myself tonight, since Aaron has already left. Uh, I hope that you all have a very Merry Christmas, and we hope that 2016 uh, is another great year for you all and for the Amigos. So, until next time, adios!